John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this is Pod Have Mercy. We going? We're rolling. Are you right, editing? Well, <laughs> I know this is hot in the room. The mics are hot in the room, but it helps. The, the these particular mics help with the podcast when we do the thing. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is. So I have this You're vest. Bad. I like no, vest, you, you like this vest. This vest yeah. is really good. I got this vest because it gets cold like five Three days. days. <laughs> yeah, five days. Yeah, that's right. So I'm tooling around in this vest. I'm feeling like there's, I bought this vest like there's something in the pocket. It's like I start. I was like, well, there's a pocket here. And there's a Man, pocket here. There's pockets, a pocket. There, it does, see, like, do you see? Yeah, yeah there's a lot of pockets. pockets. So I'm like, well, there's a pocket here. There's a pocket here. And I reach in, and I'm like, there's a pocket here. And I reach in, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> a bottle opener. It's, it's a vest for alcoholics. <laughs> it's like, it has a bottle top. It has a, a church AA key. starter kit. It's a church key. <laughs> in, like, attached to a cord. It's, so you never lose it. No, you never lose it. <laughs> so it's like, hey, you got a beer? You need a pop top? I got one of my vests. I mean, that's how sweet is that? Who thought, who thought of this? You know what? Some college we're gonna kid de- designed we're gonna, that. We're gonna, gonna desi- that. we're gonna. It's a it's Catholic a, vest. It's yeah, a Catholic vest. vest there. We're, we're gonna do this really nice new vest, and we're gonna put a church. We're gonna put a bottle up top over it. I was like, that was. Yeah, I, yeah, that cor- I, You know what? I, I do. I think I'm gonna. Act, it doesn't have a corkscrew, but I think I'm gonna put one in here and attach it to a string. I think it's going to be good. It's going to be good. How are you? I'm good, John. You're good? Yeah. Hey, so um, I wanted to start, you know, last week. So we talked a lot about, mm-hmm. you know, baptism and temptation of Jesus. And the Spirit comes on Jesus in the baptiz- uh, baptism and then drives Jesus in the wilderness for mm-hmm. the temptation. Right. And we talked about the devil is a tester, but then also that in the Old Testament is a tester who works kind of approved under God's umbrella. And then in the New Testament, the devil is one who's working as an enemy against God. And someone sent me an email I thought was actually fit really well, said, hey, you know, I've had some things happen in my life that are tough. Someone who died who was important in my life. And, you know, what's the role of evil and God? How's God involved in all this kind of stuff? Because even... Mm-hmm. When we look at this passage of scripture that we're going to be talking about this week in Luke 4, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, it's the Holy, it's the Spirit that's leading him to this difficult right. situation with his family. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think it was interesting. He's like, does God cause suffering? Does God force that in there? Does mm-hmm. God put that in there? And I just thought, you know, I'd kick this to you to begin <laughs> with because... I mean, it's a really hard question, and I don't want to answer it. And I thought I'd let you answer it. <laughs> well, yeah, it reminds me of Rabbi Kushner's book, Why Does Bad Thing Happen to Good People? Mm. Right? And, I, and I think that is, it, you, last, um, last week you were talking a bit about Job. And um, Job is the earliest book in the Bible that was ever written. Um, it was the first book that was ever written in the Bible, the oldest um, parchment um, uh, and so, and, which really deals with that question, 
right? Why, so, so since the beginning of kind of the, the, the oral tradition of, of faith within um, the Hebraic tradition, there's been that question, why do bad things happen, right? Hmm. Um, and so I think Job at the end of the day is contending with that, is wrestling with that. And you have the earliest people groups that are asking that question. Um, uh, we talked a bit about this at another setting uh, this, uh, t- this, this week. And part of what drove me to seminary was not the um, fact that I felt called into ministry. It was really to, to answer this question because my mom, when I was a kid, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And the church that I grew up in kind of said, well, she must have sin in her life or, un- you know, mm-hmm. or be an unsubmissive wife or some nutty thing like that. Um, and so I could believe that a God would give someone cancer or create a place called Auschwitz or Darfur or allow um, the unspeakable truths of uh, sexual assault to happen. I could believe a God would do that. I just could not call that God good, and I would not spend the rest of my life trying to talk people in to following that God. And so I had a real, I had a real crisis of faith. Is there any other kind of crisis besides a crisis? <laughs> um, and so um, what I have come to believe over time, and it may be stages of my own faith, that, um, is that really God's love is God's power. That at the end of the day, omnipotence is, where, is, is something that starts in an abstract thought about God. And omnipotence, as I grew up, said that there's this God that exists, but he pulls the strings from the outside and that God stands back. But in Jesus, we begin to see that God assumes um, all of human um, experience within the body of Christ and embeds that body within the world. And so all of um, God's power is not um, um, abstraction from the outside, it's love from the inside. Mm. And so there, it, therefore, um, I think that there are things that happen in the events of what it means to be human that we don't put on God because that's not the way that God works. God's love is God's power. So God may be, um, and this may sound marginally heretical, God may not be able to stop something, but God's mastery and redemption is in everything, Right? And so I hit my head against the wall thinking about my mother or thinking about Auschwitz or thinking about all of these bad things that are happening all over the world. Um, When I began to realize and giving up omnipotence as absolute control from the outside and omnipotence being the absolute love of God in everything, space opened up for me. And in some ways I could let God off the hook to answer me like Job. And I could say, well, if God's love is God's power, God may not have been able to do anything about that, but God could redeem anything. And I've, and I've seen that happen um, across my life and in my life. So, Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and not to get too deeply <laughs> theological here, but the whole, there's basically two different strands of understanding, like when things happen and how is God involved. And there's one group of Christians who read the the same Bible that everyone else reads, and they get to the point where they say, God is sovereign, God's in control, and God dictates everything. Every, it's a deterministic yeah. way of understanding. Yeah. So if the child uh, dies in the car wreck and the drunk driver hits him head on and the family dies or the child dies, God, God said, 
I did this yeah. because of some purpose and reason that you don't understand because you're just I'm way the, up here and you're way yeah, up I'm here, up yeah. here. I see the big picture and uh, you know, that's, I'm ne I never really jived with that. Whereas in Wesleyan, like uh, Methodist, I'm not Presbyterian, well, I'm not, Presby <laughs> not reformed. I'm not Calvinist, but in, in, in Wesleyan uh, understanding is Methodists or Anglicans. We say, okay, God has sovereignty. God has power, but God says, in my power and my sovereignty, I'm going to make a decision to step back. It's, as, it's just like a parent. I mean, when you parent children, right? There's a, there's a season you go through where you're very closely like manipulating everything that they do. And then you start letting go. Well, you still have control. You still have all the control. I mean, I got kids who are 20, I got kids who now are 24 and 21 and I still have control. You know why? Because I still pay a lot of the bills. I mean, it's the way it works. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like... You have the illusion of control. <laughs> the, I have the illusion of control. <laughs> but the point is, God in God's sovereignty steps back and says, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you the choice. And I think that's where love is really real. Because if God picks like who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, and what happens here, what happens here, you don't have any choice of love. There's, love is not... It really existed. There's no love in that theology. Yeah. Whereas love is in our theology in the sense where God says, I'm going to let you go. If you choose me, that's love. If you don't, okay, well, that's, that's whatever that is. I mean, mm -hmm. you're turning away. And I, I think when it comes to like, like I think about this <clears throat> Tonga volcano and tsunamis, or I think mm -hmm. about this young man in our church who was on a Christian retreat as a 21-year-old young boy and is snowboarding, and he's now in the hospital in Colorado on an intubator, yeah. right, because of a brain injury. And I think, does God cause that? I don't believe God causes that. I believe it's a genesis, you know, post-Genesis 3, the whole creation is on tilt. Yeah. We're on tilt, we're corrupted, we're sinful. The whole creation is disrupted. It's disease. And Wesley used the word disease, not corrupted. Yeah. Because it's not corrupted. It is salvageable. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like disease, because you know, if you have a disease, you can get there's a there's a remedy, there's yeah. a cure. Yeah. yeah. And we believe that. That's right. That's right. And so I, I think it's, it's hard whenever good things happen. I mean, whenever bad things happen to good people, it's really hard to make sense of that. Mm -hmm. And that was what the guy that was responding back. And I think it's a question maybe all of us think about because the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Yes. And the devil is there tempting him. And you're thinking, well, wait, is God like on the devil's side? Hmm. Well, no, not at all. The, the God is that God that we worship is not the one doing the tempting. Right. It's the devil no. doing the tempting. And, and, but and, God sometimes I think puts us in positions I really do believe, like, say the last two years, we've been placed as American Christians in a situation, in a, in a context, and God didn't pull us out of that. God's like, okay, you're going to be in this, and we're going to see what you got. Right, right, right. What you made of it. Because I, I think at the end of the day, God assumes the world's problems as God's own, right? 
I think this this is hyperbole, but I think one of the big big oops in the Bible was the flood, the story of the flood. Let's just wipe them all out and we'll start over with some good folks. And even and God we'll see said, how that works out. And even God said, yeah, this, this, yeah, this is not you know, a good idea. A couple of generations later, he's like, dude, that did not work. So yeah, wiping, you know, like never doing this genocide. It wasn't even a couple of generations, like the day after. The day after it's like, after, yeah, right? it's like, I'm not doing this again. This is I not, picked the wrong family. Yeah, here. this, is, this right? is bad. So it, ultimately in Jesus, God assumes the entire world's struggle and grief and suffering as God's own problem and Jesus shows up to assume that as his own and I think that's what we find and then the the church becomes you know a place where we bear witness to that yeah I just think it's interesting to touch on that because when you we've moved from Luke 3 mm. to Luke 4 the beginning of Luke 4 and then we continue on with Luke 4 where Jesus goes back to his hometown. But in every one of these, the Holy Spirit is involved and God is driving, God is moving, God is pushing. Yeah. And so to think God's pushing you into a place of wilderness. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a problem with that or struggle with that mm -hmm. if I know that God's with me in the wilderness. Right. Right. What's the text say that, that, that he was under the power of the Spirit? Is that, is that the phrase? In Luke, in in which Luke one? Four? the one that we're looking at because it was the same oh so so the one that we're looking at this week is where so it's after the baptism after the mm -hmm. temptation then the angels have now like nurtured him up because you know he was famished for he 40 got some days food on him yeah people are like <laughs> somebody after church sunday said how did he go 40 days like not eating and they're asking me this in the hall in the donut hallway like the Shipley's Donut Hallway, as I'm like eating donut holes. And I'm like, I don't know, because this is my second bag of donuts, and I had breakfast before I left the house. So I can't really help you with this. I've like, done 14 minutes without a... <laughs> I can't go an hour. I got to go out there. And I'm like, to tell them, Bobby, I was like, any more bag of donut holes? We got donut holes left? It's like, no, we're out. It's like, okay, whatever. Okay, I got to find something to eat. So if you're talking about 40, just I can go 40 minutes. I can't help you with that. Sorry. But, but the, the Holy Spirit is very directly involved in the baptism and the, and the declaration of identity. Right. And then the Holy Spirit pushes him out in the wilderness to test the identity. Right. Or actually have the, the devil test the identity. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is, it, God is pushing Jesus out there saying, all right, you're going to be tested. Mm. And then in this passage, as we continue on, Jesus, it says, is filled with this power of the Spirit. Yeah. And he returns to Galilee, and everybody knows about him. He's like a celebrity, mm -hmm. right? There are reports all around the country, and they were, and he began to teach in the synagogues, and he was praised by everyone. And then he comes to Nazareth, which is his hometown, where he'd been brought up, and he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which was the custom. Everyone did that. And he stands up and he reads and he takes the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Now, we don't know. This probably wasn't the passage of scripture for the day, but he chose this one mm. to read. And it's this, uh, he unrolled the scroll and this is what he read. It's from Isaiah and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mm -hmm. Then he rolls it up and he sits down and he says, today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. 
It's and like a mic drop, right? It is a mic drop. <laughs> it is a mic drop. It's like fade to black. <laughs> it's like a really good. And everybody is so amazed at him. They're like so impressed. I remember when I grew up in my church in St. Mark, United Methodist Church in Columbus, Georgia, if I ever read the scripture or if yeah. I ever led worship or ever did anything, people were like, well, that's our boy. Yeah. That's our guy. You know, they were so proud and everything was so good. And they like adulated you up. But, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? <laughs> and I love that because that's such a Southern thing. Yeah. If you're from the South, you know, when you run across a kid, I just still do this today. Yeah. If I get a kid in the hallway or I get a kid in the grocery store and I'm like, hey, I know you. And you know what I tell them? I ask them, I was like, hey, who's, who's, your, who's your dad, mom? Tell me who your dad, mama. You ever done that? That's a yeah. Southern thing. Who's your mom? <laughs> who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? <laughs> That's where that comes from. It's like, who's your dad? And it's like, is this Joseph's son? And he says, but then he got, so Jesus is like, got everything. This table set. Mm -hmm. He can write his own ticket. Everybody in his hometown loves him. He's a celebrity. And then he just messes it all up. Yeah. And he says, hey, you know, let me just tell you all something. Doubtless you would say, um, doctor, cure yourself. So all this cryptic stuff. Do here in the hometown the things that you did in Capernaum. Like you want a sign for me. And then he says, that, listen, listen to this. It's really kind of disturbing. He goes, he said, in the time of Elijah, there were a lot of Israelites. Mm. And heaven was shut up and there was a drought for three years and six months. Severe famine. But Elijah was not sent to the Israelites. Elijah was sent to Zarephath, this widow in Sidon, this foreigner, this outcast this person in the margin, this person that everybody said is not someone you go to. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and there were also many lepers in Israel in the time when of prophet Elijah, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian, the outsider, the person you think is dirty, the person you think is unclean, the person you think is unworthy. And man, they did not like that. So they didn't like it so bad <laughs> that they heard all of this and they were, it says, the scripture says they were filled with rage. So they just love this guy. This is our guy. This is Joseph's son. He's our kid. He's our boy. And now all of a sudden they're filled with rage and they run him out. They drive him out of town. They lead him to the brow of a hill over which the town is built so that they could hurl him off the cliff. This is how quickly this thing changes. And, but what he's wow. saying here is, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. Hmm. And being led by the Spirit means that there's no closed-off circles. Hmm. You, think, you think you're the chosen people, and God's only coming for you. And I'm telling you that I am the representative of God. I am God's Son, and I'm coming, and I'm going to tell you that this is for everybody. And it doesn't matter what nationality, doesn't matter the color of their skin, doesn't matter where they're born, doesn't matter how much money they have or little money they have, doesn't matter if they're a leper or the woman or a man or this or that. He goes on the whole list. This, the, I mean, basically, this is a synopsis of like everyone that you think is the worst person that you can't touch, that's who we're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's transformational. Absolutely. 
It's interesting to me, too, that he walks into the synagogue and does this because the synagogue is a whole system. It's a religious system where there is a hierarchy of, of, of structure and where people slot into. And so certain men, priests that were in a certain class were at the top and there were folks that were at the bottom, hmm. right? And so you knew when you walked into this religious structure who was who based on really where you sat and what you did um, in, in, in the temple. I think it's super interesting that Jesus picks this and says, um, all of this is about to get reordered. This whole system of religiosity where everybody slots in, this whole empire where it's predicated on really your pedigree, your bloodline, and the wealth that comes from that, or all of those. All this is about to get turned inside out. Because I'll tell you who is central, uh, and this becomes, I think, the mission statement of Jesus, right? I mean, this Luke 4 is... It is definitely in the gospel. And I think about, like... In synagogues or temples, depending on the, the Jewish tradition, you know, women sit in the balcony and the men sit on the floor. I think about in our, our own history, yeah. you know, African-Americans sit in the back of the bus, white people sit on the front yeah. of the bus. You know, yeah. you can't, you know, African-Americans drink from this counter, you drink from yeah. It's all these different shades. And Jesus is blowing all this blowing up, it up and saying all this. I mean, he goes right at the main power structure. Mm-hmm. And so if you have, you, did you ever read Clarence Jordan, Cotton Patch Gospel? Yeah, 100 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's a long time ago. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to do it. Clarence Jordan was a, a prophet from South Georgia, which I love. I think it's great. From America's Georgia. Actually, a, guy, a, a young lawyer named Millard Fuller was so transfixed by Clarence Jordan that he went and he joined this commune in Koinonia uh, in America's Georgia Millard Fuller is who founded Habitat for Humanity. And because he lives in this commune, and it's very radical, but it was like, but Clarence Jordan was on the cutting edge of the civil rights movement, and they were attacked, their Mm. property was burned, all this sort of, because he was this old white South Georgia farmer who believed in the gospel. He believed in this. He actually (laughs) just followed Jesus. He actually actually would read the New Testament in, in the original Greek. So when he would stand up in a church and preach and he opened the Bible, his Bible was in Greek and he was mm-hmm. translating in yeah. real time. Yeah. Can you do that? Uh, yeah, sure. I can't jump. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's interesting to me that the people that um, in that. So Jesus is saying this is the new world order. This is what I'm going to drive at. This is the heart of the kingdom is that the, the when 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 folks begin to say, wait a minute, he's talking about what is going to affect me, what I have to give up. The reordering means that I might not be on top or mm-hmm. these things are going to change are the folks that push him off the edge of the cliff, right? The folks that are like, hey, this might be a good deal are the folks that have been left out of the deal the whole time. And so the gospel means good news, but it's only good news if the folks on the bottom are like, this is good news. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the thing in our culture is we have such a, uh, there's a strata, right? And it's around socioeconomic, Mm -hmm. it's around race, and it's around, gosh, I mean, like regionalism and just everything. Generational wealth, everything. And so this one, we get to this next part where he reads this passage from Isaiah the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mm-hmm. This is 
Every, every one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has a great commission or has a commission. We always think of the great commission as yeah. Matthew. Go, therefore, and to all, the you know, to all the world, make disciples of all the world, teaching them, baptizing them, teaching them, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And I'll be with you always in all authority. We think that's the great commission. Mm -hmm. But every one of the Gospels has a commission. Mm -hmm. Mark has a commission about proclamation of the kingdom of God and repentance. Um, John has a proclamation, as the Father sent me, now I send you. And Luke has a proclamation, which is echoed here in Luke 4 and then comes again in Luke 24, where he says, repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the healing, which is all rooted to healing, which is Luke is real big on all this. Yeah. It's this wholeness. Yeah. So when you read these passages, you say, okay, he's reading this Isaiah passage, and he's saying the mission is animated, led by, driven by the Spirit of the Lord. We saw it in the baptism. Yeah. We saw it in the temptation. Yeah. We see it leading him back to his home. The Spirit of the Lord is anointing him and driving his mission. And so there is nothing that's going to stop him mm. from the mission. It's also all about liberation. And everyone needs liberation. Come on. All right. The calling of the Son of God is going to set free those who are captive. And if anybody who's listening to this, wherever you are, thinks, oh, I'm not captive to anything, you are a liar and you smell like beef and cheese. Right? You smell of beef and cheese, you are a liar and you sit on the throne of lies. Now, we're a little past Christmas, but some people will get that reference. And others of you are just way too old and not cool enough to understand what that's Thank all you, about. Elf. Yeah, Will Ferrell elf. But it's all about liberation, right? And it doesn't matter where it is. Is it spiritual liberation, physical liberation, emotional liberation? Wherever you live, wherever people live who are impoverished, who are imprisoned, who are impaired, Jesus' mission is to enrich and liberate and enable mm. those people. Mm. Mm. And this mission of liberation has got to be read with these spiritual eyes, spiritual consciousness beyond the literal and the physical situations where the words speak. Jesus is going to liberate people more deeply than you can even imagine, more deeply than at the literal surface level. right? Because if you only stay at the literal surface, you go, oh, this guy's in prison, he got set free, and that's liberation. Man, you're going to miss out on so much. This is what it means to be the son of God and his mission in the world is that people's lives are going to be transformed at every, at the breadth, the width, the depth, everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is going to be transformation. Mm. And he's going to proclaim good news to those who are poor. What's interesting in the Beatitudes in Matthew the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we kind of own that as kind of like, well, that's a spiritual thing on my part. You know, I'm poor in spirit. I'm going to be humble. But in the Sermon on the Plain, which is what Luke's Sermon on the Mount is called, it says, blessed are those who are poor, period. <laughs> that's it. Blessed are the poor. And Luke has this, this real sensitivity to those who are marginalized outcasts yeah. on the periphery yeah. those who are not accepted yeah. those who are looked down upon and the poor women in of course in the new testament women had no rights at all jesus does a lot of ministry with women in the gospel of luke yeah 
And so this whole thing about the poor, this is why in the Gospel of Luke, when you read the Christmas story, who do the angels come and announce the birth of Jesus to first? The shepherds in the field, abiding, watching over their fields flock by night, right? The shepherds are the lowest of the low. They're the lowest caste system in, in yeah. the Hebrew world. They're the, they're the untouchables if you go to like a, the Indian uh, under, uh, understanding. They live out, they just take care of the, the animals. They don't intersect with the rest of society. Right, right. And so this whole concept of Jesus focusing on those who are physically poor, impoverished, Jesus knows that every single person is impoverished in some way. Mm. Some of us physically, some of us financially, some of us emotionally, some of us spiritually. And you know, our culture in America, we focus so much on materialism and material goods, mm. and we, we recognize you know, the poverty because of the culture's in, emphasis on all of that stuff. But, you know, yeah, there's people who are poor in terms of possessions, but there are other people who are poor because of other issues, maturity, spirituality. We, we, we are fortunate at this church to be in a neighborhood where there's a lot of really big, expensive houses. When you come drive here, you know you drive by them. I'm just going to tell you, I know people who live in $5 million homes who are poor absolutely in their spirit <clears throat> absolutely you know what i mean yeah it seems that what jesus is doing <laughs> partly in this is reimagining what um our life together could be that there is a, a sense in which when we're born our brains get enculturated into this idea that if i had this it really what life is about is securing myself and my place within it within the world and Jesus comes along and says, there's a different vision where um, um, recovery of sight to the blind, where folks that are in prison, where we can rethink the whole industrial complex of incarceration, where we can understand that no one has to be uh, poor, that one out of six kids go to uh, bed hungry in Harris County. Hmm. That to me is um, not a sociological problem. That seems to me to be a church problem. And that we could reimagine this if we took this uh, passage out of Luke seriously, right? That, that, that if Luke is reimagining the social structure of the world, um, starting with the church, what would we do differently? How would we reimagine what it looks like to, to do this life differently with our possessions and with the systems that we're involved in? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's important when you look at this as not only the poverty, and the, the so he's liberation, there's freedom, there's mm. poverty. He speaks specifically about freedom for prisoners. Um, you know, at Mercy Street, we do a lot of ministry with not only folks who are in prison, but folks who are re-entering out of prison. Yeah. And that's very scriptural when in, in Matthew where he says, you know, you didn't visit me when I was in prison. And we're like, well, I didn't know you in prison. <laughs> it's like, well, if you visited the least of these, you visited me. And so those who are prisoner, we think about someone who's in prison, but I would also say he not just means literal prisoners. He means to free anyone who's held captive by anything in their life. It's an idea. Or if you're held captive to an idea, if you're held captive to a way of life, if you're held captive to a false belief, if you're held captive to a way of seeing yourself, mm. a lie that you've believed about yourself, that's a real big one. Or a lie about other people who don't agree with you or don't think the same way 
that you do about certain things. I mean, there's not really any exceptions here. We all live in captivity in one way or the other. So Jesus's mission of liberation is going to include those who are held captive in any way, shape, or form. I, I think about captivity to addiction. You, you've got a lot more I've got back. A lot of addictions. Well, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say that. I was just going to say you have a lot of history and background working in that realm. Yeah. And I think about being prison, being yeah. a prisoner to a yeah. drink or a drug or a process, a, a process or I mean anything. Yeah. To, to need liberation from that. This Absolutely. is what Jesus comes to proclaim. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think also it's not only that, but it, we're getting into blind recovery. You know, those who are blind recover their sight, the same thing. I think about over the last two years, so many people who think they see so clearly about so many issues, mm. and they talk to me, and I'm like, wow, you know, that sounds really blind. And I'm not saying I see perfectly. Because I realize and recognize I don't even see everything the way that I need no. to. But it's pretty obvious because I know that I don't see everything the way I should. And I'm not willing to be overly condemning of this, 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 and this. But man, there are some folks just like, everything but my thing <laughs> is worth condemning. Everything but my thing is horrible and evil and bad and whatever. And I'm thinking, man, there's a blindness yeah. there in the life of those folks. And then the last... Uh, the thing is he talks about this whole concept of Jubilee. He says, Jesus, oh, he says in the passage of scripture there that um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what he's referring to there is this year of Jubilee, which shows up in, in Leviticus 25, where God instructs Moses how to order all life with God. And the intent was to help the children of Israel to live in more dependence on God and not dependence upon themselves or dependence upon each other. And not Pharaoh, not the king, not the government, anything else. And so the Jubilee concept is built upon the idea of Sabbath. So just as there is a rhythm for Sabbath for the week, six days you work, in a day you rest, you put everything away, you stop. The seventh day is a day of rest. The same pattern of God's work and rest in Genesis 1 creation. So there's, there's an annual rhythm. So what I told, I was meeting with a, one of our pastors recently. We were talking about the whole concept of Sabbath and sabbatical. And I say, for me, every day there has to be a rhythm. It's kind of like the COVID pandemic. It's like the surges, right? Kind of come and they go. It's the same thing in your day. There has to be, if you get up and you just go nonstop all day to the end of your day, you'll say, I worked, I did a great job today. I really, I crushed it, you know? <laughs> but what you've done is you didn't, you did yourself a disservice because you didn't have some rhythm in your day. That's why when you work at a company, they'll mandate that you take a break. Like I, I'm in the grocery store and I'm in line and the guy comes up and goes, it's time for your break. I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm next. <laughs> you have to go to the next line. No, 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 that's not going to work for me. Sabbath, buddy. <laughs> it's not going to work for me, but it works for her. And it, it's this mandated sense of you need to take a break today. That's a day, then in a week, then in a month, then in a quarter, then in a you know, semi-annual, right? Mm -hmm. Then in a year, they, we, we take vacations. Right? We, we, get it, we try to get away. 
And I remember when I started in ministry in 1992, I hate to say how long ago it was, but I remember that the, these old pastors, these old Methodist Georgia, South Georgia pastors who were so proud, they were at the end of their ministry, and they would say to me, son, I've never missed a Sunday in 45 years. <laughs> and I was like, that, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I want to do something else for a living if this is what the expectation. But they were proud of it. That was, a, that was like a feather in their caps. Like they took a vacation. They took one week, maybe four days. They go sit on the beach or they do something. But man, they never missed a Sunday. Mm. Never missed a Sunday. Mm. And I thought, wow. And so this whole rhythm gets messed up. So what God does is God constructs the rhythm. God constructs the Sabbath. It's mandated. It's ordered. It's commanded. It's one of the commandments, Mm -hmm. right? That, as Barbara Brown Taylor says, we only really operate on eight commandments. The whole idols thing and the Sabbath thing we got rid of a long time ago. That we just (laughs) don't believe in those. But the year of Jubilee is built on this Sabbath. And so just as this rhythm is built in, on, on every seventh year, there was a year of rest. And that meant the land rested. Which is interesting to me because farmers in modern technology know this, that you have to let yeah. the, fan go, the land go fallow in order for it to, to like reinvigorate itself. With like the pH balance and the nutrients and the nitrogen and everything. It's, you can't just plant, 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 plant. The land even needs to be rested. So no crops planted, grown, or harvested every seven years. The livestock rested. The people rested. Every seventh year for an entire year, the people were to trust God to provide for them while they rested. Mm. And the Sabbath meant that persons were not striving for materialism. They were not invested primarily in economic matters. Rather, they just learned to trust in God and learned to trust in each other. It was this very communal thing every seven years. And then after seven cycles of seven years, right, on the Sabbath pattern, it's not exact, but the 50th year, the priests would blow the ram's horn and on the day of atonement and they would signify the beginning of the year of jubilee this is the year of the lord's favor this is what jesus said i'm this is what i'm coming to bring and so this jubilee year every 50 years is a sabbath year on steroids it's like you doing your boot camp at 5 a.m. That's right. You know, turning the tires over. This guy comes in. We do 6 a.m. Bible study in there in the month of January. He's coming. He's already, like, crushed, like, tires and sit-ups and everything. And I just rolled out of the bed and put on my hat. And I'm like, hey, here we go. Why don't you start? Yeah. That's what I did this morning. You did. I was like, hey, why don't you talk you about this for a while? I was like, I need some coffee. <laughs> I was like, this is going to take me a few minutes. For but this whole thing is like this 50th year, the, the horn is blown, day of atonement, a new jubilee year. And a jubilee year was like a Sabbath on steroids. Not only did the land rest, not only did the livestock rest, not only did the mm. humans rest, mm. all debts are wiped away. All slaves are released all property that had been sold in the previous 49 years are revert back to the original owners. The purpose of the year of Jubilee was to put everyone back on level ground with God. So if you accumulated wealth 
on the backs of other people or at the expense of other people, it's all reset. Now you got to start over. If you sold yourself into slavery, which was common in this ancient land, in order to pay for your family debts, you would be released from your family indebtedness. If you had been in prison for economic reasons because you couldn't pay your debts, you were set free and your debt was wiped clean. If you had sold your home or your land to pay off creditors, your land came back to you. Your home came back to you. It was yours again. Your land and your debts canceled. It was all about liberty. People liberated from their indebtedness, forgiven of their spiritual financial debts, restored the full personhood. Now, I, I know people will hear things like this. Look, I'm just talking about the Bible. I don't really know what to tell you when people get really, you know, people sometimes get mad at me. And I just say, it's just the Bible. I, I don't. The Bible I don't really, will mess you up a little, though. The Bible will. The Bible will kick your rear end sometimes, yeah. because I think about the way we live in our society around. We think about free market and capitalism. You know, I studied all this in school. I like it. I think it's good, but man, this stuff is pretty radical. And I don't know that there's a lot of like philosophies or politicians in the United States of America that go for this, except maybe like your Bernie Sanders, you know, that kind of, that kind of speed of guy. But man, it's not the majority of people. Yeah. It, it's There's not a lot of people. People get mad about this. They get angry sure. about this. Yeah. If it was a political um, deal, they would. But I wonder if, if we in the church are to bear witness to this, what it would look like if it was us that were, um, doing these things in the world like this. So Jubilee, it's interesting to me that it falls in Leviticus right on the heels of Exodus, where the children of Israel lived in slavery for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, mm -hmm. and basically Yahweh is saying, never again. You get, back, you get behind the eight ball because of a choice you made or something that happened. Generation after generation is not going to pay for that, Right. Um, you make a bad decision or you have bad DNA that causes you to walk down a path that you can't get out of a mess that you've made, generations are not going to pay for that. We are a community of people that will take care of each other, that will um, 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 be in relationship with each other, that will not covet our neighbor's stuff. And this is how we're going to reset this. And so there's a radical reset to say what stands at the center is not your own security within the system, but the collectiveness are all we getting there together, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I think this. what happens is you, you start talking about this and what happens mm -hmm. is our, our minds are so framed around political conversations. And mm -hmm. so we go immediately to politics. Yeah. It's like, this is not a Republican policy. This is a very socialist, democratic policy. Well, Jesus is not thinking Republican, Democrat. The Bible's not thinking Republican. Th those, those issues have nothing to do with no. this. Actually, this was around a lot. I don't know if you got the memo. This was around a lot longer before than even the United States of America was around. What? Yeah, it, it, it actually what? was. <clears throat> yeah. But... Leviticus 25, the whole principle of the year of Jubilee, where it resets everything, mm. right, is Leviticus 25, 14 to 17 says pretty much directly, is like, do not take advantage of one another. Yeah. Yeah. Do not take advantage of one another. So when you look at today, when Christians talk about economic disparity, 
And people are like, well, we don't want to talk about that. Well, the people who don't want to talk about that are the people who are on the good side of economic disparity. Yeah. The people who are on the other side of economic disparity are fine to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so, again, if, if the scripture is going to, if you're going to read from this Isaiah as Jesus is, he's going to say, my mission is to bring Jubilee to the world. Now, I, I think we've got to be real careful here as I shake my finger. I can feel it shaking <laughs> as we shake my finger. We're not talking about politics. We are not talking about politics. Politics will not solve these no, issues. No, 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 no. I've been preaching this forever. Politics is not the answer. Cozying up to power of kingdoms and empires and principalities is not how you make God's mission accomplished. So if you're thinking I'm trying to skew your politics, you're not That's hearing not right. me. That's right. I don't care about your politics. But what I'm saying is here is what Jesus is doing, reading from Isaiah, and he's proclaiming my mission is going to be about bringing God's jubilee to the world. And he does it. He takes someone who's a leper, who has no status in the community, mm-hmm. and he heals them. Now all of a they have status. Yeah. Now all of a sudden they go get a job. Yeah. He takes someone who's born blind in John 9, a, ma- a man born blind. He can't work. His whole life is resigned to begging. He won't have a family. He won't have a wife. He won't have, any- he won't have anything. Mm-hmm. And Jesus heals him. He didn't even ask for it. He didn't even like have faith. He's like, wow, I can see now. It's great. This guy now has a family and a future and possibility and potential in his life. Right. This is Jubilee. He's like, I'm going to set it. I'm going to reset things. I'm going to reset it for you. 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 Now, he didn't do it for the whole world, but he did. And he gave us an example of how the church is supposed to be involved in doing this, leveling the playing field, breaking down the barriers, separating the owners and the workers, separating the slaveholders and the slaves, separating the creditors and those who are in debt, separating the prisoners and the free persons. And, you know, for us, we take it from more of a spiritual tack, but, you know, it's not just for some people who need it more than others. Jubilee is restorative and salvific, like those big words, don't you? It's restorative and salvific for everyone. Even the people who are, who are the ones that are now having to give back. It's salvific for them. Oh, that's, that's interesting, John. Yeah. Even for the ones, Even for the ones on the top the who have to surrender. This is what's really powerful about wow. this. Is it's, it's salvation for everyone. It's not mm. just economic distribution it's not just reparations everybody thinks about these sir it's salvation for everyone and salvation like you taught last week means wholeness and everybody gets whole and as leviticus says it puts everybody's trust and dependence on god Hmm. not on wall street economics wealth materialism blah 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 blah, fill in the blank now, look, I'm sorry. It, it does sound very revolutionary. It sounds very, like, threatening to a lot of people. Mm. But it's the Bible. What am I supposed to do? Let me just, I don't want to read this. I don't like this part. Yeah, this part. Let's just, maybe, maybe this is let's get, where's the kumbaya much. part? <laughs> where's the part that doesn't challenge me where I sit in my position with who I am and what I have? I don't want that part. Right. And I think that's mm. something we all have to struggle for. Well, we're getting into this. You know, I, I, I had this um, poem that kind of fits this thing. Or it's got a poem. It's Wilbur Reese. 
$3 worth of God. And it says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or snooze in the sunshine. I, I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick a beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That, that's rough. I love that. It's a poem that fits right in with this whole... Um, I'll tell you this. This is going to be a tough sermon to preach on Sunday. I got. I got a front row seat to this one. No, nah, I got to oh. do some praying, man. <laughs> this is going to be tough. This, this, uh, it, but it's it's funny. But it's like um, the Bible will do that to you. It will, uh, John. I, this is a new imagination that you're reading us in, right? This is the imagination. We have to imagine a world like this um, before we can move into it. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, you can imagine this. Like this church at Chapelwood can be a place that um, where prisoners are set free, real prisoners, incarceration, and folks that are um, imprisoned in their own life. Mm. People can see with new eyes things they could not see, right? I mean, I think that this isn't um, an exercise in what the Spirit's leading us in through what you're teaching us. And um, may it be so. May it wreck all of our lives, you know, so that we can all get saved. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about this week, except I'm not really excited about preaching. <laughs> you better be I, I work on it. No, I think I'm going to get COVID. <laughs> so I think you need to be ready. I think I'm going to get COVID. I think I think I will have COVID. Your sixth before time for COVID. No, not sixth time. I think I will have COVID. So I, I'm going to. Here's the note. Here's. Oh, thank you. I'm going to give you this, and I want you to be ready. All right. <laughs> So what you got going on this weekend? Anything good? My uh, son just moved into the dorm at uh, U of H. And wow. so I'm going to go collect him and right, good deal. see if he's doing all right. <laughs> That's awesome. So the exciting thing in my family, in my life, is I just bought um, my daughter at Oklahoma. I just sent her a five-pound. This is a big drama today. So I just had this late-night impulse buy. I heard about these new gummy bears. And I, the, the whole, the Haribo gummy bears, they're oh, not yeah, a sponsor, sure, sure. so I can insult them. I don't, I don't care. They kind of all taste the same. Do y'all like gummy bears? You know what I'm yeah. uh, Gummy bears. But apparently there's this new kind of gummy bear, and they're like very flavorful, and they have their very different types of flavors. Ah. The colors actually okay. taste like yeah, different yeah. flavors. So I bought like a five-pound bag of gummy, these gummy wow. bears and sent them to my daughter at college. Because I thought, I mean, when you're in college and you just get a gift back of five. That. That's, a, yeah. that's a week worth so of food. So she's all like freaking out. It's like, I didn't order this. I promise I didn't order this. I didn't order this. I don't know who sent this. I don't know where this came from. Something's wrong. Something's broken. I was like, I did, babe, it's okay. I sent you this gummy bear. She goes, oh, you did? Why did you do that? It's like, I love you. It's just this little graceful, it's a graceful nugget. And I said, I want you to try them and see what you think. She goes, 
we're already into them. They're awesome. <laughs> I was like, well, why are you asking if I had told you they were, I didn't send them to sugar. you? What if I had already said, I didn't send those to you. I don't know where they came from. It's like, oh, too late. We've already eaten <laughs> half of them. Five-pound awesome. bag of gummy bears. So apparently I ordered myself some too. Did so, you apparently? Yeah, tonight. Okay. And we'll, we'll let you know next week how those are. Well, man, we're bring so some. bring some. I'll, I'll bring. Yeah, we need to get a sponsorship. <laughs> we, we got lampshade coffee. We got the the other coffee. What's the other coffee place? What is it? We got lampshade, and we got we'll Houston, and we got, this, we got this. And we got Bobby Woolly cappuccinos. But anyway, it's been fun to be with y'all tonight. Thank y'all for coming, and uh, for all of you who are out there and keep listening. That's great too. So, in anywhere you live, you are uh, you listen to on your podcast. Make sure that you like and subscribe and share with other people because that's always a great way for us to get the word out. And so many people are impacted by the podcast. It's amazing um, the outreach that it does, which is why we're doing it in this way. So anyway, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. (laughs) 